Welcome back to your political playlist. I'm your host, Emily Tish Sussman. We know millions of people have left the workforce due to the pandemic, but women have borne the brunt of the losses, exposing the gender inequity that still exists in households in the workforce. For every three women leaving the workforce, only one man leaves. And for Black and Latina mothers, they're affected up to four times as much. That's why today I'm sitting down with Reshma Sajani, founder of Girls Who Code, who's leading the charge in the movement to compensate parents for unpaid parental labor and highlight the value in the work millions of mothers do every day. Although the latest COVID relief stimulus made a historic expansion to the child tax credit that will help millions of families, Reshma said it's a good step, but not quite enough. So she has stepped up to offer her own solution, the Marshall Plan for Moms. Under the Marshall Plan for Moms, Reshma is calling on the Biden-Harris administration to direct monthly payments of $2,400 to mothers for unpaid labor. She's also calling on a 360 plan to get mothers back to work and for a comprehensive child care plan. So let's dive deeper into the conversation around motherhood and policy. Welcome, Reshma. We did it! And now I feel like I'm ready for Girls Who Code. Like I got you in a preset program and I feel like I'm a genius. (laughs) Wow. How are you? Um, So good to see you and really excited to have this conversation. When I had done my pre-intro for our conversation that didn't work, what I was saying is that Reshma, you more than almost anyone I know has thought about the different ways to impact the system and like the the amount of impacts that you can have and have tried different ways. And I'm so inspired by your creativity there. So Marshall Plan for Moms, tell us what you're proposing. Yeah. So like, as you know, like moms are getting crushed um, in this moment. And it's just, I think so many of us are finding ourselves as, you know, tech support, nannies, cook, all the while we're trying to maintain our full-time jobs. And the thing that like, Emily, I think really, you know, I found myself at the beginning of COVID with like a, you know, a three-week-old baby, you know, a five-year-old. I had to save my global nonprofit because when pandemics hit, the first ones, you know, the first ones to really struggle are women and girls nonprofits. And, Mm. you know, in the beginning, I, you know, got, I got COVID-19, my liver failed. I got acne, like I was 16 years old and I was barely making it. And when I looked at my Zoom screen, every single woman looked exactly like me. And I think in the beginning of the pandemic, we're just like grinning and bearing it. And then when schools didn't open in the fall, I think we just lost it. And I think for me, I was like, where's the plan? Someone's got a plan, right? What's the plan? What's happening here, right? And there was no plan. And so I wrote, you know, the Marshall Plan for Moms is just like a vision of like what I and the moms that in my life and around me in our Girls Who Code community would need to get back, you know, to normal, which is some cash and some support, right? So we can pay that mortgage, put food on the table, you know, uh, do what we need to do to support our families, paid leave and affordable childcare. You know, the fact that we are one of the only countries that don't provide this support really showed, you know, what the effects were on uh, in, in a global pandemic. And I think finally, it's just retraining. You know, so many women found themselves in jobs that just weren't pandemic proof and lost jobs that were not coming back. So we need a 360 plan. And that's what the Marshall Plan for Moms is really all about. 
I felt, I mean, even in that like crazy a year ago COVID moment and that just, as you described that we all just found ourselves grinning and bearing and thinking, how are we going to do this? I felt like from a work perspective and from a, from an, a, a women's economy perspective, we were either going to see a total crash or we were going to see a rethinking about mm. the workforce. And I feel like we did see the total crash. And I feel like we're seeing pieces of a rethinking. I mean, I even feel like now in New York, you know, we had been thinking that jobs would be remote for a while. People would not be going back to the office. But now vaccines are picking up and offices, city workers are saying, like, let's come back. So yeah. we may not be thinking about it, about rethinking it better. Like, do you see pieces of this plan coming back? Like, what are you seeing? I don't know. I mean, I'm a little nervous. I think things are going to get worse for moms before they get better. And I think they only get better if we make a lot of noise and get really crazy, as I like to say. Right. Because I think even if you look in, you know, the recovery plan, you know, it was great in terms of childcare and really having that conversation about providing childcare. I mean, the fact that Jerome Paul, you know, Paul, um, Powell, like our federal, you know, said like, we need childcare. Like, I think we all fall, fell out of our chairs. Like, wow. Okay, so yeah. we're really having this conversation, but we didn't get paid leave. You know, even though we learned that, you know, in this pandemic, if people could have stayed home, we would have lost less of our countrymen and women. Uh, that didn't happen. And so, and, and so I still think that we're not having the right conversation. I'm still not seeing a plan. Yeah. Like I want KPIs. Like, you know, we lost 2.4 million jobs. You know, what? how are we getting back to where we started and how are we getting back better? And I'm still not seeing that. You know, I had talked to Emily, like a Fortune 100 company the other day. And I said, so what's your plan to bring moms back? And they're like, oh, we haven't thought about it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, you haven't thought about it. You haven't thought about the fact that for so many of us, even if schools open in the fall, our children are broken. So for some, and they're going to need our support. For so many of us, we realize, oh my God, I went through most of my life seeing my child for 60 minutes a day. Now I see them 24 hours a day. Maybe I want something in the middle, but that wasn't normal. The way that we were asked to kind of operate and function as parents in society, that wasn't normal. What's the new normal? I think the third thing is like really the motherhood penalty. I'm sure, Emily, like when you're on a Zoom and I'm on a Zoom with a bunch of parents, the dads are never getting interrupted. The moms always are, <laughs> right? We're always getting interrupted. And like we look at each other with empathy, but I do think that the men look at us and like, ugh. And so I don't believe that employers are going to be like, oh, I'm hiring a mom. Oh, no, you saw too much of the mess behind the scenes. And if you're not preparing and figuring out how to support me because you're not valuing that work, it's going to be worse for moms when they go back if we don't ask for what we need. I totally agree. I think that one potential upside is that for moms who took time off, either pre-pandemic because they were choosing to and are thinking about going back, maybe they were forced out of the workforce because of the pandemic. I think there, I think there might be a little bit less of a penalty on the resume to say that like you were out of the workforce a little bit. But I mean, the employers have to be willing to take moms in general, to your point. So like that's yeah. maybe an upside to me. Um, but I, I agree with you. Like I don't see like a big rethinking, rethinking of how we're going to re-enter the workforce and and manage our economy. Like if we keep thinking about moms being a significant yeah. part, like a, a, a small part of the workforce and not yeah. the bedrock of the economy, then we're yeah. really not rethinking it. We're really and not welcoming people in. And I mean, I had this really, uh, we've been doing a lot of amazing work with Oxfam. I'm obsessed with them as an organization. And they had introduced this to their, their team in the Philippines. And all 
when they talk about gender justice in the Philippines, they're talking about the unpaid labor at home because they very much have made the connection to the reason why women are not at a, you know, at a quality in the workplace is because there's still not equality in the home. And until you really focus on that and talk about what that's about, you actually really can't fix the workplace. So we spent so much time, i.e. in our lean in culture about, you know, promotions and mentoring and all this stuff. No, 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 no. Yes. But what about the conversations here? You know, and so for in Philippines, for them, a, a lot of technology is women are spending a lot of time gathering water. They're developing technology to reduce that amount of time. They're having these cultural conversations about, you know, with with partners saying, how do you do more? How do we not in this very masculine, you know, society, how do we actually value the work of doing laundry? Right. And so we've spent zero time in this country talking about that we've almost tried to like just throw it under you know like and so as when as mothers who are in the workforce we got two jobs right two full-time jobs and you know we're not getting promotions at either one of them right like we're not you know we're not neither either one of those are going too well so that's the conversation i want to have which is about unpaid labor and unseen labor and like the work in the home. And, and people are not ready. We're still not having that conversation because I still, we still think, and that's why I wanted to put the emphasis on payment and valuing, you know, like, because that's, and I think like on the left, it's, we still feel like, well, if we, if we pay moms to, you know, for their unpaid labor, they won't go back to the workforce which is, I think, false, but it's a very deep cultural narrative. And on the right, you know, they say, well, motherhood's a choice. You get no nice things. You chose this, <laughs> right? So it's a right. very fascinating, very fascinating situation, you know, right. that I mean, we find you, ourselves in. Right, like you don't truly value something until you actually like put a dollar amount to it. Yeah. Like that's when you actually value it. I mean, yeah. interestingly, like that is where there is been a little bit of the left-right coalition around the direct payments for families and the increased health yes. tax credit in the in the COVID relief bill, because the right actually wants to incentivize women for yes. staying at home and feels like they don't want to miss out. So they want to give right. them some money to like do the right. unpaid labor. I did right. see, so I did see like a counterpoint to the Marshall Plan that I want to ask you about. Yeah. Saying, you know, why should we just pay moms to be doing mm. this labor? Aren't we actually perpetuating the fact that moms like get paid to do that laundry. And so if you're in a two-parent heterosexual relationship, the dad's then going to be like, I'm not getting paid to do that laundry. No, thanks. Like, your job. Yeah. I I, I love you to respond to that counterpoint. Well, I think it's just still so funny when the data is so clear that we're getting crushed. We're still worried about the men. I find that fascinating, right? Um, we even even in these moments, we can't just be like, give me, give give it to me, right? Yeah. Well, I just think it's just not true. Like, and I saw this with girls who people said to me, well, why not all kids? Why girls? And I think it's about focus, not exclusion. There is clearly a problem in our structure that even when we're locked in our homes with our partners and they see exactly what we're doing, they see us do the extra load, they see us make the food, they see us order the grocery, that we're still doing all the homeschooling that we're still doing all the work. And so to me, you you can't just call it parental leave and assume that it's just going to happen. The reason why our partners are not doing that work is it's not valued and it's not respected. You know, why is it that 86% of the homeschooling is done by mothers in every socioeconomic status? And regardless of race, regardless of, I mean, Why? And it's because we never valued that work. And I think we assumed that if we called it parental leave instead of maternal leave, that men would take it. And the reality is they're not going to take it unless they're penalized for not taking it. So like yeah. just offering a benefit 
doesn't in calling it by a gender gender neutral name doesn't assume that it's going to be taken. Society has to value it. Like in Goldman Sachs, you take parental leave, you're not getting promoted. You're not a real, you know, you're not a real team player. Like, you know, and, and there's no system put in place where your promotion should depend on whether you take leave because it should be a company value that you value your family, that you want to be there for those eight weeks. That should be your your signal of what's important to you as someone in your family as a, you know as a dad should be a signal of your value in the company right. so let's change that let's focus on, but we never we never spent any time focused on that and so like the reality is we're doing this work and i want to focus on us getting paid compensated and again it's not even just to get compensated emily or valuing this work so we can do more work outside the home it's so we have more time for ourselves the amount of us right that like stop working out stop going to the doctor's appointment our health have i mean i got mercury poisoning liver failure like everything my body just because it just couldn't take it and i know i'm not the only one so like i don't even just want you know, more of my time back so I could do more work on Girls Who Code or Marshall Plan for Moms. It's just so I can go for a walk or meditate. Totally. You know? I mean, we had our youngest kids, I think maybe it's not the same day, yeah. like within a couple of days of each other, like three weeks before the lockdown in New York, that follow-up appointment I was supposed to go to the OB, I didn't get to for months. We did like a five minute FaceTime and she was like, is your uterus falling out? No, cool. Like, we'll be back again soon. Like, right. That was like, that was it. I mean, it, I mean, I couldn't get away from my kids. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't get there for months. No. But I want to talk to you about tactics for change, like for making yeah. change. So, you know, already in this conversation, we've talked about, you know, the Marshall Plan for Moms is a federal policy change. You know, you've tried to implement and have successfully implemented change through nonprofit, through training, through Girls Who Code. Yeah. Um, and you've also talked about private sector change in this conversation, you know, going company by company and actually having them. And that's, that's some culture change, too. And we met in 2010 when you were running for Congress. So yeah. you were also trying to go like through the, the yeah. run for Congress. So in yeah. this moment, as we're rethinking not just our roles in the workplace, but how we want to impact society, you know, what is our, what is the value that we are bringing that we really want to leave the legacy for our kids? You know, like we had a year to be staring at them in the face and seeing nothing else but them at, and I think a lot of people were honestly really motivated anti-Trump, but now don't really know how to feel. No, right. Like, how do you yeah. think about that? Listen, I think I got really fired up as a parent, you know, in my PTA, in my public school, and was like, what is going on Wait, here? if you do PTA too, I'm going to feel like the biggest slap in the entire world. Oh my God, how do you do all of this? <laughs> I just, you know, well, well, listen, I am, you know, this is my last week as CEO of Girls Who Code, so... Um, so part of it was just, look, I, I, I like big problems and, and I, and I follow where my heart, like where I get really angry when I'm up at night and I like, you know, my, my, you know, my CBD oil's not working, but that's how like, like pissed off I am. And that's how I felt about moms and how I feel about moms right now. I'm just so mad. And I think part of it is really super local. Like everyone, everyone should be really engaged locally in their community, in their schools, in their neighborhoods, right? Um, and I think that like one of the things I have learned, Emily, and I was having this conversation with our friend Hillary about this, um, which is that you don't, I used to always think that the only way you can make change is by being an elected official. 
And I just don't think that that's true anymore. And and I think I actually made more change as the CEO of Girls Who Code. I mean, quite frankly, you make more change on your podcast, right? By having these conversations and educating people and like, you know, pushing the narrative. And so part of it is figuring out like, what's your gift? Where's your passion? You know, where's your voice the most effective? And, and realizing that there's not just one lane. You're not just only a change maker if you're elected office. In fact, you can be a change maker being on your PTA, right? And, and pushing a conversation or starting a podcast or writing an article, right? And this started for me by just being mad and writing an op-ed that I literally, you know what I mean? That like finally got placed in the hill. And, and so, and so that's just, a, again, a, a demonstration that like, when you are feeling something most, and you're feeling it so intensely, you're going to more than likely somebody else is feeling it too. And a lot of people are. Have people reached out to you and looked to you for advice in that sense of saying, like, I want to do something, but what do I do? Like, what yeah. do you say to them? Well, here's the thing I realized, you know, if you're a social entrepreneur, like for me at Girls Who Code, I don't think anyone should run anything for more than six to eight years and then you should go. But also I realized that, well, oh, and you're like, how did you do this with the Marshall Plan? Because I did it with Girls Who Code. There's a play, I knew the playbook. I knew the playbook. And so what I started to realize is, wow, like, I think we just need to go tap people who have done this before. Like, what's the other thing that you're fired up about? Go leave this thing and go start that thing, right? And so the, just like we do that with entrepreneurship, oh, you started a company, you've had a billion dollar exit, or I'm like, go start another company. Yeah. We don't have that in this space of troublemaking, right? Like, and we need to, because it's, a, it's exactly the same. Right. There is a playbook like I learned. How do you bring about if you have an issue or a problem in society how, that, that people aren't paying attention to, but we're all feeling? How do you call attention to it? I think that makes so much sense to be looking for like small scale mentors, basically. You know, if you have someone that you really respect the way they speak up at the PTA or, you know, the way the way they ran for the waterboard, like if you really respect the way they do that in your town, in your community, reaching out to them and just asking for like a first step for a playbook. I think that makes total sense and feels really accessible. Yeah, totally. I think it's like, listen, I, I, I feel like. I just think that it's, um, I think all of us individually, you know, need to basically be problem solvers and, you know, start, you know, create good trouble, as I like to say. And, you know, it, and it's those types of little steps, little communities, little conversations, little movements everywhere, like little fires everywhere, right? That make change. This is a quick conversation, so I could talk to you all day, but we do have to wrap it up. But I just do want to say that on that note, I really respect the way that you have attacked huge problems from different perspectives. But more than anything, you've always been a really strong champion for other women, like other women around you and other networks. But, you know, you've never said no anytime I or anyone has come to you for help or advice. And you offer advice about how women can be aggressive and asserting for themselves. And so I just wanted to, I really Thank appreciate you. that about you. And I hope that we see more of that. I hope that is a piece that others take from, from all of your work. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I love everything you're doing. And I'm so happy to have you. Oh, thank you. It's so good to talk to you. It's a quick conversation. You guys can catch more from Reshma on her podcast and her book and Girls Who Code and the Marshall Plan. I'm Emily Tish-Sussman, host of your Political Playlist podcast. Talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Political Playlist. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Your Political Playlist, where you can see video of my interview with Reshma and join us live to ask questions during future ones. For more from Reshma, you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Reshma Sanjani. Join us every week for smart but bite-sized conversations with women at the seat of power and activism. 
Subscribe if you like us. Leave us a rating and comment to let others know. Talk to you next time.